the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Tuesday, April 26, 2022. In our education wars, which, again, are wars that we did not seek or ask for, but one side would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish, and the war came, if I can borrow from Abraham Lincoln. By the way, interesting aside, I think, that line is from Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, which is short enough to be etched in full on just one of the walls of the Lincoln Memorial. 700 words, 14 references to God. But Fox News had an interesting piece on the education wars today. It cited Nicole Hannah-Jones's work. She's the creator uh, and, of the 1619 Project, the project that created a history curriculum under the aegis of the New York Times to actually uh, literally change our founding date from 1776 to 1619. To change it, in other words, so that slavery is our founding ethos and not freedom and equality. The problem among many, and there are so many, is that without 1776 and the ethics that emanated from it, where would Lincoln go to successfully end slavery? What would Frederick Douglass point to? What would Martin Luther King Jr. cite? What would the Union and uh, during the Civil War rally around to fight to make men free? And certainly the Gettysburg Address would have never been given. And if it were imagined, it would begin 12 score and four years ago. And I suppose our children would be asked to remember that. Often enough, this is where we would cite normally to George Orwell's 1984. Quote, already we know almost literally nothing about the revolution and the years before the revolution. Every record having been destroyed or falsified, every book having been rewritten, every picture having been repainted, every statue and street and building having been renamed, and every date having been altered. And that process continuing day by day and minute by minute. History stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present which the party is always right. Close quote. That's an eerie and somewhat frightening quote, isn't it? But interestingly, it's fiction, or was written as fiction, predictive and descriptive, but fiction. Contrarily, Vaclav Havel, writing about 30 years later, in prison, in real life, under a regime of true existence, in many of our lifetimes, would write about those who imprisoned him in Czechoslovakia in terms that are nonfiction, nonfiction, descriptive and prescriptive, but nonfiction. It's amazing to me how close this descriptive quote maps to the nightmare of George Orwell. Havel wrote this, quote, because the regime is captive to its own lies, it must falsify everything. It falsifies the past. It falsifies the present and it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics. It pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights. It pretends to persecute no one. It pretends to fear nothing. It pretends to pretend nothing, close quote. But it, of course, does. 
as the 1619 Project does, as critical race theory in our schools does. Here's the thing. Where our children's history books used to be written by giants, <laughs> by giants in academia and scholarship, they were all liberal, by the way, but by giants, yes, our kids needed to be weaponized against their country or at least against their country's claims to some achievement and decency. And too many of our children thus get nonsense taught by teachers who know little, if any better, from the likes of Nicole Hannah-Jones. The Fox story cites some of this professor's Jones's scholarship, and it is this. Appearing on a podcast with Ezra Klein in 2019, Hannah-Jones promoted Cuba as a country with, quote, a viable and sufficiently ambitious integration agenda due primarily to socialism. But in places that are truly at least biracial countries, Cuba actually has the least inequality, and that's largely due to socialism, which I'm sure no one wants to hear. Close quote, Hannah Jones argued. She previously wrote an article in Oregonian in 2008 where she boasted that Cuba had a very high literacy rate, a low HIV infection rate, universal education, and a model universal health care system that assisted black Cubans. This has been thoroughly debunked, the health care and the biracialism anyway. I only last week was quoting scholars on the problems with civil rights in Cuba, never mind the virulent and obscene racism of its founder or co-founder Che Guevara. Well, they aren't really as racist as Che Guevara anymore, you may say. And that's fine, and I'm happy to hear it. He died the year before I was born. Any effort because of his racism to change the dates and denounce Cuba, have you? Of course not, because he was anti-American, because he was a socialist. Denounce America from 250 years ago, praise Cuba from 60 years ago. And while America got things right and people are still giving their eye teeth to get out of Cuba and come to America— Maybe that would be instructive to some point or other here. But nope, because nothing is so blinding as ideology. Or as listener caller Doug put it once, there is no level of socialist failure that can be demonstrated that will convince socialists of its weakness, just as there is no level of capitalist or democratic success that can be demonstrated that will convince socialists of its decency and greatness. Nothing is so blinding as ideology. Another item from Professor Hannah Jones. In January, she responded to podcast host Coleman Hughes' tweet questioning why those who argue that voter ID laws are racist against minorities do not make the same argument for vaccine ID laws. She tweeted out, quote, going out to eat is not a constitutional right. Stop. Close quote. Now, she later did delete that tweet, but she did go on to ask, Quote, show me where eating out is in the Constitution, close quote. Do you see how there is nothing more than an endless present in which the party is always right with this example? Anyone? Bueller? What the hell was Martin Luther King marching for inciting in the Constitution and Declaration? To give the country a civil rights bill in 1964. To do what? End segregation and open up public accommodations. First and foremost, restaurants under the equal protection and equality guarantees of our founding as implemented via excuse me, our commerce clause in the Constitution. My God, the pretzels you have to twist to come up 
with a snack of such empty calories to get your leftist agenda in play. This one I meant to mention last month, but other issues got in the way. In March, Hannah Jones responded to former MSNBC host Terrain Neblet regarding his opinion on tipping in restaurants because they do these big issues over at MSNBC. While both agreed that tipping should be unnecessary, Hannah Jones added that tipping itself is a legacy of slavery. She said, quote, tipping is a legacy of slavery, and if it's not optional, then it shouldn't be a tip but simply included in the bill. Have you ever stopped to think why we tip, like why tipping is a practice in the U.S. and almost nowhere else, close quote? That's what she tweeted. Well, as anyone who has traveled knows, tipping is a practice in a lot of other places. And as the good people at the American Institute for Economic Research point out, like many topics in early economic history, there's no clear record of when the first tip was given to a worker in thanks for service. But the practice was widespread by at least the late Middle Ages in Europe. Also known as a gratuity, the practice takes its more formal name from the medieval French term gratuité, meaning a small amount of money that's freely or voluntarily given to a person. Gratuities were apparently very common in that area, so common that they made their way into William Shakespeare's plays. An example appears in Twelfth Night, first performed in 1602 a little before any slavery was had in mind in what would later become America. And in tipping, an American social history of gratuities, one of the most comprehensive historical surveys of the practice, author Carrie Seagrave noted that the origins of tipping, while vague, may have begun in the late Middle Ages and in Tudor England, 1485 to 1680. Where a shift had taken place in that visitors to private homes were expected to give sums of money known as veils at the end of a visit for service rendered by the host servants above and beyond usual duties. Of course, to the educators among us now, including <coughs> including Nicole Hannah-Jones, Shakespeare is out. So perhaps she might not have learned it from reading English literature. He's just not taught anymore. Of the top 52 universities in America, only four it's an amazing thing. Only four require a course that teaches Shakespeare to major in English, not to major in poli sci or sociology, to major in English. If you read Orwell, you'd not be surprised. He put it this way, quote, by 2050, earlier, probably, all real knowledge of old speak will have disappeared. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, they'll exist only in new speak versions, not merely changed into something different, but actually changed into something contradictory of what they used to be, close quote. As I say, it's really eerie, isn't it? As we think about who's teaching our children, it's worth noting that whatever the left wants to say about how great it all is and there's nothing to see here, I think it's important to show how much there is to see though they try to hide it. They try to hide it when it comes to critical race theory. They have been trying to hide it when it comes to transgender ideation, and they are trying to hide it in almost every other respect, including very much the very history of the United States of America. Maybe, maybe, maybe one thing Elon Musk will do with Twitter is not allow these pedagogical clowns to delete their posts. Nicole Hannah-Jones is a pro at that. But then the harder thing is how to delete this junk thought and rot 
from that which we are now giving over to 50 million of our children every single day. And that, I think, is worth thinking about. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at the Midas Gold Group. First, we were told that spending trillions on COVID relief and blue state bailouts would not generate inflation. Then we were told that the inflation would be transitory. And then we were told it was Russia's fault. One company got it right from the beginning, and that's my personal precious metal dealer at veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. As Washington politicians push largest budgets in American history and the Fed continues to pump money into the system, what will happen next? What will China do with their U.S. Treasury holdings as the value is whipped away amid the Biden inflation? Midas Gold Group will give you the latest inflation projections And just ask them for their free guide to owning physical gold in your IRA. Don't deal with questionable gold salesmen and avoid mail-order nightmares. Deal with the knowledgeable and reputable company I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already deal with Midas Gold Group. I have gold and silver from them. Give them a call at 480-360-3000 or visit them at MidasGoldGroup.com. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello, hello. Rick, are you there? Hello. Hi, how are you? Oh, hi, Seth. I, I didn't, uh, I, I did I, I don't know. I was asleep, I guess. Uh, hey, thanks for taking my call, Seth. Yes, sir. Uh, that was a great monologue against uh, again today, and I cannot express to you how much I appreciate, and I know so many others appreciate, the great job you are doing uh, exposing uh, so many things and bringing them to light and and laying the truth out there. Uh, Your monologue reminded me that we must have and maintain and support a commitment to the truth because we have a large segment of our population, I'm afraid, that are not committed to the truth, that is the left and much of the Democratic Party, and when you don't have a commitment to the truth, ignorance is bliss. Uh, I and think you're right about that. And your monologue demonstrated that, that uh, aphorism very well. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. There's this interesting trick, and, and we're going to have to wrestle with this one. The, the, the left is creative, and they are smart. Uh, about how they've gone about things. One of the things I think we're going to have to be equally creative and smarter about is the way they go about doing it. So last uh, Thursday, I guess it was, Barack Obama, former President Obama, was at Stanford uh, giving a talk on social media and disinformation, uh, which is, you know, was about a week after, two weeks after the similar conference hosted by the Atlantic Monthly over at uh, the University of Chicago. And What you are finding now is the labeling of things conservative, things not progressive. That's the new disinformation. That's to them disinformation. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, really interesting. Uh, Remember my my um, you may or may not remember. I wouldn't hold you accountable for it. It takes us back some time. Bill, I know will remember. 
because I remember he was uh, answer-selled by this when I first stated it. When when the Democrats in twenty uh, in the in the in the twenty twelve fourteen and sixteen elections spoke about Republican extremist policies or extremist Republican policies, our policies were extremist. That was right after they had spent about six years recasting um, our version and our wording, our verbiage of the terrorist threat we were facing. Uh, not as radical Islam, not as Islamo-fascism, not as political Islam, not as terrorism. But they became um, they they introduced into the vernacular the new phrase, the neologism, to describe terrorism as extremism, religious extremism. So they started putting the word extremism to terrorism, and then they took that word. Now that we all got used to extremism being something akin to bin Laden and attached it to uh, Republican um, Republican policies, conservative thought. And they called that the same thing they called the terrorists. Notice what's happening here. The same thing. Mark my words with this information. They're just doing it in the reverse order this time. They're talking about disinformation on the Internet, which needs to be curtailed, which needs to be cabined, which needs to be curbed. And mark my words, once uh, once Twitter is fully open and evidently is is opening by the day, according to according to uh, certain posts I'm seeing from people who used to be banned on Twitter, once it becomes fully open, you are going to now see the word disinformation used again, not just against conservatives, but they will take the examples of things like Russian propaganda, which are going to come through on Twitter now in a way that they haven't been. If it's open, it's open, man. And Elon Musk doesn't have a good discernment about what is legitimate political speech, as we discussed in our monologue yesterday. But once they start evidencing and showing you things like the propaganda you do get from Russia – vis-a-vis namely the war in Ukraine right now, they're going to tie conservatives to Russians. They're going to tie Republicans to the propagandists of enemy countries, again making us the Untermenschen, again making us as good as foreign haters of the United States of America and the West. Mark my words, I'm almost positive this is what's being done. I could write an update to George Orwell's politics in the English language. I think I'm on to something here, and I think maybe you heard it here first, too. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's 34 past the hour, so we'll do our culture and economy update with john dombrowski he is uh his own uh radio host here he is has his own radio show here he hosts every saturday morning at 7 a.m the word on wealth he is the president and founder of grand canyon planning associates that website is grandcanyonplanning.com jd happy tuesday hope the week is getting off to a uh, good uh, good start well yesterday was pretty good for the market yep. today not so much right <laughs> what drove that mostly well, Alphabet. I think, again, still, you know, concern about inflation, yeah. but uh, we've seen corporate earnings right now. We had a couple of companies, large companies reporting uh, that disappointed on their uh, earnings, and that was one of the big ones. Alphabet uh, reported uh, weaker than expected, and their earnings was lower. Their revenue was a little bit lower. YouTube, who they own also, their advertising revenue was lower. 
but, you know, interestingly enough, um, one of the big players in the industry of cloud um, storage is Microsoft right. and Google as well. Yep. And that is an area where Google did do well. They beat on expectations for their cloud revenue. And also, uh, we did see Microsoft report today, which did beat on just about all of the parts of their business. So uh, it was a good day for Microsoft reporting. But even still, in a down day like this, Seth, nobody was left unscathed. And we did see Microsoft close lower, even though they beat their earnings oh, expectations. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. One, no, one, no one got out of the Death Star today. <laughs> no, not today. Um, one of the things you and I thought uh, might we might see this week is some statement or some news out of the Fed with regard to interest rates. Now, the Senate did confirm a new vice chair. It was an elevation, right? Brainerd was elevated to vice chairman of the Fed. Right. They, uh, the, the stories I read about about her is that she probably will not be a driver of new interest rate policy plans. Probably not, but who knows? Uh, I don't know what your tea leaves are showing right now. Well, we're going to see, you know, of course, May. Th- I think it's May 3rd and 4th mm-hmm. is the next Fed meeting, mm-hmm. and that's possibly when they would announce uh, whether or not they're going to be raising rates. Uh, th- you know, this is a consensus, you know, ultimately, uh, but it uh, is reported usually uh, after the Fed meeting. So we're all going to be all ears, you know, come next week to see what the Fed's actually going to do. The expectation would be somewhere in the half a percent range that they would increase. But now there's even talk of three quarters of a percent because the inflationary numbers uh, don't seem to be subsiding. Uh, and there needs to be some real strong action to, sub, you know, to subdue this, uh, this inflationary pressure that we're feeling. Slow that economy down a little bit. Allow these companies to get uh, back in line with uh, the orders that they're receiving. It's just it's too much for the system right now to handle. So we're going to see what they do. And and one of the interesting things is the inflation doesn't seem to be subsiding, but neither do the reasons for it. I don't know if you saw this. It'll make sense to you if you haven't. Yeah. In the Wall Street Journal, there was a piece today. Workers are changing jobs, raking in big raises yeah. and keeping inflation high. That's an interesting new one. I it makes I get it. Yeah. Uh, it didn't dawn on me, but I get it. Yeah. So you've got uh, obviously you've got companies that are looking for good employees and they're willing to pay for it, and that is obviously a cost to the company, uh, and therefore those costs usually get passed down to the consumer. So that obviously will will cause some type of an inflationary. Uh, you know, scenario for consumers. But you're right, Seth. And one of the uh, areas that I think the Fed looks at always is they want low unemployment, right? Because they want people, uh, you know, working uh, to help move the economy and also pay taxes. Uh, But we're seeing uh, a shortage still of workers. So in that respect, we've got all-time lows of uh, employment numbers, unemployment numbers, I should say. Uh, And therefore, the belief is the Fed can be more aggressive on these uh, interest rate hikes without... Uh, you know, really damaging uh, the economy. So, uh, but we're going to just have to wait and see what the Fed does. They want to be careful about it. Uh, my belief is they'll probably do a half a percent. I don't think they'll go quite three quarters of a percent. And I think a quarter point would not be enough. Right. So I really believe it's going to be in that half a percent, maybe the next raise. Maybe That's your Goldilocks number. That's probably, it's a safe number yeah. for the Fed. And uh, then they can reassess again uh, for their next meeting in June.
Fantastic, John. Thank you. I appreciate it very you bet. much. Go Folks ahead. Folks can check out our website at GrandCanyonPlanning.com and request an appointment with me right there. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fenrin Sipic, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Bye-bye. I am Seth Leapson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. $71 trillion in student loan debt, and Americans are drowning in it. Up until my friends at Why Refi came along, many of these people had no help and no hope. Why Refi refinances defaulted private student loans while others will not. But that's just the beginning. Through their process, borrowers see serious FICO credit score recovery, allowing the borrowers to greatly improve their lives. What if you could invest in a secure and collateralized portfolio, earn exceptional fixed returns, and actually Help these people out while earning a big return. What if you could do well by doing good? Folks, I take these kinds of endorsements very seriously, and I know the good people at Y-Refi, and they are good people. They are great people. I would never endorse an investment unless I truly studied it and believed in it. How about this? Go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y. They're a local company. You can even go visit them, and you will not get a sales pitch. Why Refi is in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. Go to investyrefi.com or call 855-316-3087. Make sure to tell them Seth sent you. We had so much to do yesterday. I wanted to get to this um, because it goes to you know what I was talking about in my monologue really goes to how we're teaching and talking about American history, which goes to how we now think of America in our current policy and uh, political uh, debates. Uh, you just need a generation of students to be concer- uh, to be uh, to be to, uh, to, to be taught differently, to be propagandized, to be indoctrinated, and you can. Uh, how did? Uh, was it Euclid? Who who said if I had a big enough crank I could move the world? Was that Archimedes or Euclid? I don't remember. But in any way, that Archimedes. Archimedes said if he had a big enough crank shaft, he can move the world and lever. And you know, all you need is one generation of indoctrinated students, and you can change this country. Which explains a lot of the changes we're seeing, not only about the views of America, not only about views of certain things like free speech, not only. Views about, you know, Republicans and Democrats are both legitimate parties. Conservatism is a legitimate point of view worthy of First Amendment protection. All these kinds of things that have changed over the last 30 years, there's a reason. There's an etiology to it. There is a Fons et Origio. You get the point. It also allows us to accept nonsense from people who once upon a time knew better. Issues and Insights writes that the Biden administration's chief medical advisor made last year what C.S. Lewis might have called a lunatic, liar, or lord statement when he essentially claimed to be the embodiment of science. Five days ago, this man, we're talking about Anthony Fauci, went even further, declaring that the executive branch should be free to act outside of boundaries put in place 
to prevent an all-powerful presidency. I was thinking about this yesterday when this came out, but also again today with the news that Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID. I actually, I, yeah, uh, we'll come back to that. Let me go and finish the issues and insights piece. Fauci is a menace. We'd all be better off if he were a Washington Nationals bat boy rather than a powerful government functionary and influential media darling. He heads the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. You know this. A lot of people think he's the CDC. He's not, but the CDC listens to him. Even uh, Yes, so he heads the National Institutes of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, and even though in June 2021 he said his critics, of whom there are many but not enough, are really criticizing science because I, I represent science. That's a direct quote. His critics are criticizing science because I represent science. Sounds a little bit like the Sun King, doesn't it? The star c'est moi. The state is me. But he does indeed have the mindset of an authoritarian. During a CNN interview on Thursday of last week, Fauci expressed surprise and disappointment over federal judge Catherine Kimball Mazel's ruling that overturned Washington's planes, trains and public transportation's mask mandates. Quote, those types of things really are the purview of the Centers for Disease Control, he said. This is a public health issue. We are concerned, said the man, who also also issued a now is the time to do what you're told threat about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not be a court issue. Got it? He said, quote, he is concerned about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally Public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not be a court issue. Close quote. In other words, the executive branch under which the CDC and other health related agencies operate is not to be bound by recognized constitutional limits. It can unilaterally or should be able to unilaterally do whatever it wishes as long as it decides its orders, mandates, and restrictions are justified by their conception of urgent needs. There will be no other gods before it, not the law and not the Constitution. Anyone who thinks this isn't dangerous isn't thinking at all. Just by crying crisis or declaring an emergency, an administration using what we'll call the Fauci doctrine could smother social and economic life, Strip civil liberties, suppress freedom of speech and religion, take over industry, require explicit behaviors, and set itself up as an unchallengeable power. In other words, everything they did until the Florida judge got involved. Fauci's disservice to the country actually goes beyond his anti-constitutional bearings. He has been Washington's scaremonger-in-chief. He urged lockdowns, which made us worse off, and mask requirements, which didn't work, was part of the successful poisoning of a reasonable response to the pandemic, tried to spoil holiday days, lied to the public and probably Congress, defined and then redefined herd immunity to suit his personal taste, downplayed the benefits of natural immunity, and has been, in the words of Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, 
quote, promulgating things that are unscientific, close quote. But maybe he did some good, made the trains run on time. Sorry, we mean saved lives and limited the suffering, his defenders would say. Okay, we'll play. Please tell us how many COVID-19 deaths Fauci prevented. How many infected Americans was he able to keep out of intensive care units, hospitals, and real doctor's offices? What have been his quantifiable contributions during the pandemic? Of course, those questions are useless to ask. Nobody knows the answers, and that's the point. What we do now, however, is that Fauci has prescribed bad medicine for the country. Where his performance can be measured, he has come up woefully short and clear, clearly tyrannical in thinking the Constitution and the law should have nothing to say about what the CDC does. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. Their fruits and veggies are what I take every single day. It's whole food nutrition. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies is the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar beyond what's in the fruits and veggies themselves. The only thing in those capsules is pure fruit and vegetables, including the capsules themselves, which are designed to be opened and sprinkle contents in food and drink if you prefer not to take capsules for whatever reason. I know a few people that uh, prefer to do it that way. Powerful, potent stuff for papayas and grapefruit and grapes and cranberries and cherries and aloe vera and apples and bananas and blueberries and pineapple and raspberries to just begin. You get a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables with Balance of Nature. Go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Bill, I got I to gotta do this with you a little bit on the culture front. A friend of mine asked me to watch, uh, tell, told me to start watching on HBO this series called Winning Time, The Rise of the L.A. Lakers, which covers the rise of them from roughly, what, about 1976 to what, I'm not done with it, to probably 1986, something like that decade like that. I think it's a fantastic series. Whether you like the Lakers or not, if you like the 70s and 80s or if you like shows about the 70s or 80s, it's fantastic. Great actors, John C. Riley, uh, Adrian Brody, uh, Jason Clark. Uh, some of the families covered in there are getting a little miffed and might even threaten lawsuits. Jerry, um, Jerry West family is doing it. But I asked you to watch it because you know basketball. I like it because of the decades it's covering you know basketball so far what do you think is it is it i mean a lot of it is is fiction but it's well done i thought am i wrong sure well acted which is not easy for you have to get lookalikes of, of these guys and they did a great yeah job with adrian casting. brody as pat riley you get the struggle here <laughs> yeah, yeah right go ahead but yeah it's entertaining if you put aside the you know the historical challenges as you said sure yeah yeah no i, I and one of the interesting things norm nixon People don't necessarily remember Norm Nixon. The guy playing him, did you know this? Do you know who the guy playing him is? It's his actual son. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. so so that one at least is going to portray him probably. Either the son is going to get his revenge on his dad if the upbringing was not great, or at least it's going to be a little truer to it. Uh, but I've learned a lot. I mean, obviously, uh, you can't help but learn a lot, even, even with, if you are dealing with something like historical fiction. But it's just really good. People are always saying, give me a good new series to watch. Winning Time, I think, is that. Again, you know, I would say, what, Bill, what would be the right age? 18 plus or a little higher? Definitely. It de definitely 18. There's adult content. Adult content. 
It's funny what they now consider adult content. It used to be gratuitous sex and nudity. Then it became gratuitous sex, nudity, and swearing. Now you now you know what it is? Gratuitous sex, nudity, swearing, and cigarette smoking. It's just, it's just amazing how they lower these uh, they lower lower these deviancies and elevate their toxicity. You never really see drug use, smoking, but not drug use. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.